The Boys of Tech with Edwin Herman and Friends. Welcome along. This is episode 207 of the Boys of Tech for Tuesday, the 2nd of April, 2013. It's of course Tuesday because uh, it has been Easter and uh, this is our first day back. And on our first day back after Easter, I'd like to welcome on the panel, Brett King. Welcome to the show, Brett. Howdy. How was your Easter? Pretty good, pretty good. And did it involve eating lots and lots of chocolate? Mm, Far more chocolate than I had initially planned. (laughs) Oh, it's always the way, isn't it? Mm, When other people give you chocolate. Yeah, you know, chocolate, I don't know about you, but for me, chocolate's one of those things that you don't tend to buy yourself. Mm. You only really tend to eat it. Try not to buy it myself. People keep giving it to me. Now, Brett... We, you know, it's been a rather quiet week. I mean, you know, uh, probably because Easter had made the week rather short. But I have found a couple mm-hmm. of interesting stories, which are kind of a little bit, perhaps a little left field. And I thought I'd kick off with Hong Kong. Now, Hong Kong has these grandiose plans to build brand new data centers. And as you can imagine, the, the, the thing with Hong Kong is that you've got like 7 million people in an area not much more than 1,000 square kilometers, which is not a lot. And so where are they going to no, build? No, no, it's, it's quite small. It is. Very, very high population density. So the question is where are they going to build, where would they build these data centers? And here's the thing. This is where they think outside the square. It's underground. And that's what they're going to do. So they've got plans to dig these great big, uh, I think they're digging into sort of, uh, into existing caverns, I think? In, into existing uh, caverns? No, I they're just going to dig new holes. Oh, new ones, are they? Okay. So yeah. the idea is Basically, to- they'll build floors under buildings and just keep big uh, building basements. Ah, right. Down. Okay. So just build new basements under, underneath. Build down instead of building up. And do you know what? The thing is, the thing that's smart about this, well, there are two things. One is that it doesn't take up any new space, any land space. But the other thing is that it's naturally cool down there, right? Indeed. And data centers need to be cool. In fact, a few meters down below ground, it's a constant 14 degrees or thereabouts. And I know this because when I was in Italy some years ago, we visited these catacombs and they go, I think, two or three two or three or four stories deep and it's just a mm-hmm. constant 14 degrees centigrade. Yeah, unless you stick something in there which makes heat. Yeah, exactly, like a great big data centre. Data centre. <laughs> it's like, yeah, sure, the, the ambient temperature down there is significantly below the ambient temperature of above ground or in the standard building. But... It's also surrounded by some damn fine insulation. So when you create a lot of heat in those rooms, it's not going to be sucked up. (laughs) No, that's true. But in theory, right? as well. Okay. But (laughs) but surely all it means then is keeping airflow going, right? Which a whole lot cheaper than actually 
cooling, right? Because you're not all you're doing is shifting air. You're not you're not trying to cool the air. And if you can do that, a lot of pumping of a lot of air circulation going through those things. You know, the thing is, you can actually get heat pumps these days for you know, like for your home, for example. Yep. That basically take the uh, the heat out of the out of the ground. They they dig these massive trenches a couple of meters down into the soil, and of course the uh, you know the you know the refrigerant piping goes through there to absorb, if you like, the heat in the soil. You know, we're talking here where where, the, where it's the other way around, where where the ambient temperature outside is a lot colder. You need the heater on. You put the heat pump on, so it's and it could be like four degrees outside, but down in the soil, it's still fourteen degrees or or thereabouts. And using that heat or that heat difference, if you like, for the basis of extracting the heat, yeah, you know, using heat pump technology. So you're right. Down below, it's like one big insulated system. But if you can keep the air flowing. You should, in theory, be able to keep that system cool without having to actually refrigerate the air. This is a huge, huge undertaking. And, you know, it's uh, there are some risks as well. Things like flooding, for example. Yep, flooding, um, fractures, destabilizing the ground, destabilizing the the buildings all around you because you've got to realize Hong Kong is very tall. It is a very tall city full of very heavy things sitting on the ground, which they're then going to build big holes in. So <laughs> they're going to have to put a lot of effort into the, the, the structural integrity of what they build under to make sure that everything that is sitting on top of it stays sitting on top of it. I mean, we've started putting car parks underground, right? And then this is, mm-hmm. in, in a way... You know, it, it's the same concept. It's just the fact that it's a data center, uh, and well, <laughs> but we also have the the same issues of keeping the water out. There's the car parks underneath the BNZs, um, not BNZ, the the car parks underneath the Hotel Intercontinental, and they've got these ginormous pipes which keep the seawater out because they are underneath the sea. Oh, here in Wellington, it's yeah, underneath <laughs> reclaimed land. <laughs> So all you can hear when you're walking around inside that car park is the sound of seawater being pumped out. I might check that out. Where is the Hotel Intercontinental here in Wellington? It's right down on the Custom House Quay opposite the Queen's Wharf Event Centre. Is that called the Amora now? Uh, No, that's the Duxton. Oh, that was the Duxton. Yes. The Hotel Intercontinental has always been the hotel. Oh, I know where you might mean. be. Yeah, a great, is it Gray Street? Intercontinental or something, but I don't know what the little side street is, but one side of it is Liston and the other side of it is on Custom House. I yeah, I know what you mean. I know exactly what you and mean. And it's yep. directly opposite the little islandy bit, which has the, the Vodafone-powered store and the weird sculpture. Yeah, I know and what you mean. I know what you mean. That is the Queen's Wharf Event Centre. It's yeah. a big copper-coloured building. Yep, I know exactly what you mean. <laughs> I've, I've been I've been to a few conferences there, in fact. Yeah. Anyway, so this is uh, Hong Kong's plan. Makes sense to me. I mean, they can do all of the things which which you see in movies. In movies, they've got tons of stuff built underground. Hey, didn't they yeah, do you that? Know, in, secret uh, government installations. Die Hard. In fact, huh? Die Hard Four. Didn't they have this big data centre? Underground somewhere? Uh, they did. They did, didn't they? They built it. They built it into the ground, but the, the data center itself was its own section, its own above ground area as well. 
Whereas this is sitting under current building. So speaking of Die Hard, by the way, have you seen the, the latest one, number five? I have. Any good? Because I think I missed it at the cinema. Uh, I enjoyed it. It was Die Hard in the fact that it had Bruce Willis in it. <laughs> it's, it's not a Die Hard without Bruce Willis, right? Other than that, it was fighting the, the, the Russians. It's Russian military, Russian mafia people who had secreted away weapons-grade uranium from Chernobyl right before it went bang. Or sploosh. Yeah, see, I'm disappointed I missed the movie. Okay. Anyway, anyway that's beside the, that is beside the point. Tell you what, let's move on anyway. Uh, look, I don't know what else to say about this uh, about the story. You know, we're kind of clutching at straws here because not a lot happened. But I do have one other cool story, which I know you will like, because aren't you, are you a Star Trek, Star Trek fan? I like Star Trek. I like science fiction. It's hard to like science fiction and not enjoy Star Trek. Yes, I suppose you're right. Star Trek fans in London would have been treated to something kind of cool. If they looked up into the sky, I can't remember when this was actually, was this a few days ago, I think it was. If they looked up into the sky, they would see lit up the shape of the symbol for Starfleet. You know, that sort of, what? how do you describe that shape? Uh, the upward arrow shield thingy. Yeah, that thing. <laughs> the upward arrow shield thingy. <laughs> So it's a bunch of lights in the sky in the formation in that shape. And what it was, mm. it was actually created. It was for the, uh, to promote a new Star Trek, uh, what was it? Uh, yeah, the second movie of the reboot. The second movie, is it? Star Trek to Darkness. Right. So this is a stunt they did. And so these lights were up in the sky. There are actually a whole bunch of tiny unmanned helicopters uh, with equipped with yeah, LED a lights. squadron of... Quadrocopters. Yeah, quadrocopters actually, yeah. They each had a, an LED light under them and they all were programmed to hover up there in formation and the whole thing, I think, rotated, didn't it? So no matter where you were in the city, eventually you would, you know, as it turned around, as it rotated, you'd actually see the shape of the Starfleet symbol. So how cool is that? That's very cool. I, I think Very, it, very cool. It was very interesting reading about how they did it, actually, and that's the thing. It was actually done also. It was done on Earth Day, wasn't it? Yeah. The bit I don't get, though, is that I was, I was reading how when it, when it was Earth Hour, the, those, you know, the, those LEDs that formed that shape in the sky switched off for, uh, for an hour, but surely those quadrocopters weren't, weren't hovering for over an hour. Those things wouldn't hover for an hour, would they? Uh, depending on the weather. But the batteries and would, the batteries. And actually, here's the other thing. The, the cool thing is, is that the batteries... So they could have hovered for quite some time. <laughs> well, the, here's the cool thing. Be, uh, you know, of course, it was Earth Day, and you, you know, people look, looking up at the sky might be thinking, well, hang on a sec, how are these things being powered? Well, they'll be pleased to know that the batteries that powered those quad uh, quadrocopters, or quadcopters, whatever they're called, were actually charged using the Austrian renewable energy grid. So there you go. Not a single Ooh. fossil fuel was burnt in the, well, at least in the charging of the batteries for this stunt. Beat. <laughs> we're very light on content. What are we going to do now for the rest of the show then to entertain our people? Are we going to fill in with uh, mindless drivel or what? Uh, I don't know. 
There needs to be something more interesting to talk about. That's all I can yeah, find. Just... No, no one's doing anything out there in tech in, in the tech world. Everyone's... So weak and spiny. Just... <laughs> Everyone's just out there enjoying Easter, I think. Yeah, yeah. Or playing games. Is that what I'd you think? Games. Were you? What were you playing? Yep, yep. Just finished Bioshock Infinite. Damn, that's a good game. Damn, it's a good game. That means nothing to me. Describe it to, to, to a non-gamer. Uh, it is the best game currently in release. What sort of game is it? What's the... Uh, it is a first-person shooter adventure game. RPG game. It's awesome. It's a multiplayer or is it... No, just... single player. Oh, okay, right. Can you also play online? No. It is single player. It is single player only. Or at least I've not seen any multiplayer features for it. Maybe they'll come as a downloadable content. So when do you get this game? Is it it's for... freaking awesome. So this is on your PlayStation? No, it's not. It's on your PC, isn't it? Yep. Because I remember you telling you me... You can get you don't... PlayStation. Yeah, but you don't like playing first-person shooters on, on PlayStation, do you? No, no. First-person shooters are for PC. If you're a first-person shooter player on a console, then you're, well... You're not a true gamer then, is that right? <laughs> <laughs> yep, and now we have just upset a, a huge number of people who like playing first-person shooters on consoles. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, well, we'll get the flood of emails coming in. You can That's never right. be as accurate as you can be with a mouse and a keyboard. When you're trying to aim and shoot. Yeah, look, I agree. Which is uh, why first-person shooters on consoles always have massive amount of auto-aim assist to help you shoot things. And it's just not as fun then, is it? it? It kills the fun, right? For some people it is, but eh, I, I prefer to be able to aim quickly and nicely instead of having a gigantic practical and turning on auto-assist because my thumb's just not good <laughs> for aiming. And that's that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> right. Well, we're really clutching at straws. This is going to be one of the... Pref- Sorry? My personal preference, PC for FPS. Tell me again, what was the name of the game? <laughs> Bioshock Infinite. Bioshock Infinite. And that's made by... Uh, it is made by... Uh, completely gone from my head. <laughs> <laughs> is it a big crowd? It's published by 2K Games, but now I'm going to have to look. Okay, yeah, published by 2K Games and made by Irrational. That's right. Irrational. What else do they make? Uh, the other Bioshock games. There's two other ones. Okay. Bioshock 1, Bioshock 2, which are about the city of Rapture. And Bioshock Infinite, which is about the city, the floating city of Columbia. See, am I missing something? Because I've never heard of these. You are. You're missing freaking awesome games. <laughs> <laughs> so do you take your PC to LAN parties and stuff, or, or you don't do that? No, I'm way too old to do that. Or is that a... And, and we can have LAN parties without having to go anywhere. Now these LAN parties, are they only like for, what, 18-year-olds or something? <laughs> I have no idea. All I know is I'm too old to do it. I'll take it. It's a lot of effort. It's a lot of effort to, especially now that gaming PCs have evolved, it's a lot of effort to cut around a gigantic case and multiple monitors. Oh, multiple monitors, yeah. Go to somebody's house. So now we have the internet and we can play online with other people without having to leave our home. 
Right. Which, yes, does mean you miss that whole social aspect of it, but it does mean you get to play at a more reasonable time so that you can then spend the rest of your time doing other things. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> All right, Brie, look. And it means you can uh, we- games people overseas. I play SimCity with a bunch of guys in the States. Same bunch of guys each time or? Yep. All right, Brett, I, look, I think we're going to have to close the show there. There's nothing else out there, is there? Nothing interesting. Nothing interesting for nothing interesting tech-wise for us. There's tons of news out there if you're interested in other random things like I, celebrity gossip. Oh, yes. But we're not going to do that. We're not going to turn into a magazine-style show. But, you know... Well, I'll tell you one thing I'm trying to do. I'm trying to learn Xcode. This is about my fourth attempt to learn the Xcode development environment and Objective-C, the Objective-C language. Because I've got a, I've, uh-huh. I've built, here's the th- iOS apps. Uh, iOS and Mac yeah. OS X, yeah, that's right. Yeah. So it's, I don't know, I, I find I just can't get my head around it. But, you know, I've been reading blogs and stuff of people that say that they know, like, for example, one blogger had written that he knows so many people that have said what I've said, which is, you know, they've tried it, it's too hard, they've given up, they've picked it up again a year later and it concluded the same thing, it's too hard and given up. And he says, it isn't, it isn't hard. You've just got to learn what you need to learn and get through it. And he's surprised by the number of people that give it up because it's because he was in the same position as well some years ago. He said he had also on and off attempted a number of times. So I'm going to try and uh, I might get a book actually and teach myself this environment because uh, I really want to get into that sort of stuff. And then I can build some stuff. You'll be able to make an iOS app. I Exactly. Exactly. We can make that iOS game that we planned like donkeys years ago. What you mean, uh, Roadhog? The one we did on the Co- Commodore sixty four. Oh my god, no, that was even. Well, we could do that. We could resurrect the- something from high school. <laughs> That's right. That goes, oh yes, that goes back to our high school days where we had this. I, I remember why it was so freaking slow because of the updates on the Commodore sixty four. Oh, it was so. How sl- long each tick took? Yeah, I know. It's, well, that no, it was because it. I wrote it in basic. I needed to write it in machine code, or at least assembler, which would go into machine, you know, machine code. But that was the problem. I wrote it in basic, and the basic interpreter, you know, makes it run about a thousand times slower. And so we had this sort of Frogger type game, didn't we? <laughs> where, where we had these cars that would go up and down the screen, and you'd have to try and cross the road you know, at the right moment. And of course, the cars, they were so slow, would like, they'd move up, you know, a couple of pixels every few seconds, like, dit, dit, dit. <laughs> it was just so lame. Oh, yes. No, I needed to write in machine code. That was the thing. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, we could do that. And I, this is the beauty now that computers are so much faster. You don't actually really need to, to learn any low-level stuff. You can just stay with your high-level languages and everything seems to run fast. It's brilliant. Indeed. Yep. In fact... So of, we could indeed resurrect Roadhog. In fact, I think, <laughs> well, I think one of the Commodore 64 emulators, if I remember correctly, I think one of them allows you to run the emulator as fast as the, the you know, the computer, the host computer. So, it, you know, you can run it like in today's speed. So, in fact, I, I could try that. We... If I could dig out the, oh my the, god, could you imagine attempting to play Commodore 64 games 
when it's running at the speed of a current computer. Oh, well, no. I mean, that'd be impossible for... Be impossible. Oh, that'd be impossible for the ones that are designed that way. Absolutely. But utilities and stuff that compute stuff or do interesting things would be kind well, of cool. they'd go in a snap. Or, ge- or generate, <laughs> you know, generate patterns. Yeah, they'd just be like, you know, snap, you know, snap of the fingers. Yeah. Yeah, but Any- you play Pong. And, and you can't even see the ball. <laughs> well, you know, you know what? What you're saying is not far wrong because I remember when I first learned machine code, and so I, I did this. I punched in this routine that would, I think, take a sprite from the left hand side of the screen and move it, you know, a pixel at a, at a time across the right hand side. So in theory, you'd expect to see this object move from left to right. So I punched in the the machine code. I then gave the command to execute it. And all that I could see was the sprite on the right-hand side, and there's no movement. And I thought, well, okay, I've missed something. And I kept going through the code and repeating it and trying to figure, you know, figure out what have I done wrong because it wouldn't move. It would just, you know, as soon as I ran it, it would just appear on the right-hand side. And then I realized what was happening. It was working. It was just so damn fast. You wouldn't see it go across. So I put a delay loop of, you know, a counter from 1 to 255 or something like that. And it was, it would just, you'd just see it flick across, left, right, left, right, like that. And then I put, I think, a second uh, loop or a nested loop of another 255. And then it would zoom across. You know. <laughs> it, it was just so fast. And it's funny because you look back now and you, and you think about the 6502 processor, microprocessor, and you think, man, that must have been slow in those days. Well, the answer is it depends what you're doing. To get a sprite to go from one side of the screen to the other, you need to you know, slow it down by something like 65,000 times. Mm-hmm. So it's all relative. Anyway, let's get out of here, Brett. Let's call this a show. Let's call this set of ramblings over the last few minutes a show, and hopefully our listeners won't even notice the difference. Or <laughs> well, they'll forgive us for next time. Oh yeah, we'll have to come up some, with some good stories next time. I'm afraid there just wasn't a lot this week. And anyway, look, to be honest, most people will be far too busy to listen to this podcast, this episode anyway, because they'll be back from Easter straight into work on Tuesday, and uh, there'll be a pile of work to do. So maybe this episode will even go unnoticed. This is the mm. unnoticed episode. <laughs> How's that? Shall we end it there? Yep. All right, Brett, it's been probably one of the worst shows we've ever done, but I'd like to thank you all the same for co-hosting. Quite possibly. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll do it all again a hundred times better next week. How's that? Yeah, yeah. All right. Maybe. Go, yeah, maybe. No, we we'll, we'll do it. We'll find some stories. Good one, Brett. Thank you very, thank you very much. Talk <laughs> we'll to you next week. We'll just ramble on again about something else. Yeah, no, but it'll be interesting this time. We'll talk to you again next week. See you later, Brett. Bye-bye.